Hi, everyone. This is Meredith Root, and welcome to the Afternoon Snack Podcast, brought to you by Tactic Nutrition. Hi, I'm Alex Parker, owner of Tactic Nutrition, former lawyer, CrossFit Games athlete, turned health and fitness geek. I'm also into health and nutrition, a more recent CrossFit Games athlete, co-owner of Tactic Nutrition, and former engineer. We are here to have fun, engaging conversation about some of our favorite topics, including nutrition, health, coaching, motivation, and of course, CrossFit. Our goal is to give you something to think and talk about and hopefully make you laugh along the way. Hi, Alex. Hey. You hate that so much. I just like, I wait for it and I know exactly what's going to come out of your mouth. But like, what if I was like, hello, Alex Parker? Um, I wouldn't like that as much either. You don't like when people use your full name? No. In like a casual setting? I, I dislike that, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me. No, I remember um, when, do you remember it, like when we first met at Wadapalooza and um, my sister Megan was there and she went to introduce you to, I guess it was her team. And she was like, this is Alex Parker. <laughs> and I was like, Megan, that was so weird. <laughs> it was like, I was still trying to be kind of cool. And I was like, that was literally like the least cool thing. Like, I mean, I don't remember that. Obviously, like they probably knew who you were anyways, because like just people know who you are. And then I was like, God, Megan. And then like the next day she proceeded to like, fingerprint id her phone because it was still when they had the the fingerprint id on the mm -hmm. iphone she's like i wonder if i can like fingerprint id my nose and use that to open like set your nose as a finger just in case of emergencies and she did that and i was like cool it worked i think <clears throat> i think that hatred for it came in elementary school i for some reason there were so many alexes mm -hmm. like not only in my class but on my bus there were four Alexes on my bus. And you went to a small school. And it was one of those, and like, it was like a small bus. Yeah. And so there weren't even that many kids on the bus. There were maybe five rows of two and two. Yeah. So that's like 20 kids. 20% mm -hmm. of kids with the same name. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Popular name in the, the late yeah. 80s. You know how many, I went to school and my high school had, uh, I think over 2,000 people. So my graduating class was around, I assume around 500, maybe a little bit less because like each class was a little bit bigger than the one before it. Do you know how many Merediths there were in my class? Just you. There were actually two. Oh, wow. But two out of 500, like that's pretty. That's not surprising. Meredith isn't a very common name. In fact, a lot of people haven't even heard that name. Sometimes it, like <laughs> if we order sushi or I don't know, you're at like Starbucks, which we don't go to Starbucks, but a coffee shop where mm -hmm. they ask for your name. You sometimes will just be like, it's Alex. Yeah, I give your name half the time for like, ordering food. The face they make, they're like, and how do you spell that? Yeah, it's like, I actually, I love seeing the many ways that people attempt to spell Meredith. Yeah. It's back in, like, in Raleigh, it was super easy because there's there's a university, there's a college, Meredith mm -hmm. College, that's right across from NC State. So if I was ever somewhere and they were, I gave my name and they were like, well, how do you spell that? And I said, just like the college and people would spell it exactly okay. correct. They weren't like, no, not where you go to school, your name. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't, definitely didn't go to Meredith. I would like to, yeah, no, okay. it's not a great, it's, a it's okay. It was just a joke. I know. It's just, it's one of those colleges, like it's fine, but it's like when you don't do very well in high school and you need to pay your way into a private school, gotcha. that you go to Meredith Okay. and like it's an all girls school and 
there's a bit of a reputation with NC State being an engineering school right across the street. Hmm. Interesting. Anyways. Didn't know that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, anyways, I use Meredith. Yeah, Sometimes. so if you ever see me, just call me by my first name. I will respond yes. just to Alex. Yeah. And if you ever need to spell mine, good luck. <laughs> Although it's really not it's exactly hard. how it sounds. Meredith. Yeah. But people will be people will spell it like Mary Dith. Some people do like they confuse where you put the E and the I. Yes. Or E's and I's. Yeah. And then the email you received yesterday, Metareth. Metareth. They screwed up the D and the R. I'm Which like, I'm like, how does that happen? But like you know, in, in defense of that, sometimes I spell my own name wrong because yeah. I just type it too fast and I mix the letters, but it's okay. My last, my, my name backwards is pronounced Hittiterum. <laughs> What's your name backwards? Um, Zella. Zella. <laughs> That's nice. It could be a, a, a name in itself. Yeah. I think Megan's like Nogum. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you've actually thought, thought this through a lot like before. Yes. Okay. We've. I may have had this conversation many times with my family. Hitterum tour. <laughs> That's my old name back. I guess like, it wouldn't be Zella because my name isn't Al Alas. It's Alex. So it would be Exla. Exla. It's hard Alex. when you start. Yeah, that's tough. Because Zel- usually like Xanax, it's like it's pronounced Z. Mm-hmm. So it could be. It could be, yeah. Zell- I don't know. We'll put that up yeah. as for a poll. <laughs> I'm sure everyone listening is like, what? what is my name they're like are they, it's, are they i know right just pause everyone is doing that pause, right now figure that out on pause listen <laughs> you're welcome okay but we're not here to talk about names we're here to talk about a more serious topic but first well actually they're both serious topics the first time well okay well i'll preface it with how this came up okay the other day we were skiing with my parents and we were all in the chairlift and I tooted. And instead of it just being like a toot, Meredith always has to be like looking at me like, Alex. I mean, like in my defense, it was not just a toot. It was a toot. Okay. Okay. Anyways. I call it a rip. But... <laughs> it was on the verge of a rip. Okay. So um, then we got to talking about like the first time we had farted like at what what point and my parents were kind of like laughing about this with their own experience well she no your mom said like something about you don't you don't fart in your sleep and I was like oh contraire there is nothing that will wake you up faster in the beginning of a relationship than farting in your sleep before you've like farted out you know in front of your significant other because like you do it and then you wake up and you like look over to see if they heard it or woke up and then you're like close one back to sleep and then we started talking about like well like how long into relationships is it normal to withhold gas like it was like gas walking around naked going to the washroom with the door open like all of those kind of like points in a relationship and we were kind of bragging about how long we held out i held out yeah. You won. I, I won. I won the standoff. It was probably, and this is, it would ha, it had been two years yes. before our, she heard me fart. Yep. I think I had farted in front of her before, but it was like silent and mm-hmm. probably not no, like smelly enough for you to notice. Well, obviously you thought this one was going to be silent. Yeah. And it wasn't because I was in the kitchen cooking, 
or in, in like we were we were talking you were actually like is you were mid-sentence <laughs> and you did it and then you just like kept talking as if there was like a chance in the world that I was just gonna let it slide the fact that we had been holding out for two years and you were the first one uh so no I did not let that slide I imagine you wanted to like melt into the yeah couch. no instead of being like you you were like whoa 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 hang on a second here did you just fart <laughs> and you were like yeah <laughs> there was no getting out of that one but I think like two years is pretty that's a pretty long time but then I didn't feel comfortable like I thought that would be it would be like ripping the band-aid off mm-hmm. like you just now it's cool to just fart in front of you but it wasn't it wasn't until you farted in front of me which was probably like six months later yeah. and it was the same thing you tried to like just like glaze <laughs> over it and I was like wait we're finally even i don't know like at what point that like became not normal because you like you'll kind of like burp in front of people like it's the same thing it's just further down the line yeah but burps don't smell like poop (laughs) (laughs) i mean like mine don't usually like my my tooth don't usually smell like your shit doesn't stink no i didn't say that but like pretty much Mm -hmm. so i don't know like you worked in an office for you know a little while a couple summers and then that year I don't know, like I used to, my schedule got so weird when I got into CrossFit and training. I would, I would get up at 4.30 and then go like coach the early classes. Like I would coach swimmers at 5.15 and then I'd go to work at like 7.15, be there at 7.30. So like there wasn't a time, I didn't get up super early. So like I didn't normally go poo before I was at work. Like normally people I think would get ready at home, go at home and then come to work. And so... I would have my coffee and have breakfast at work, which means like meant around like 8.30 or so, I would have to go to the bathroom. I have to go poo. And there's this thing, and maybe some people don't care, but I think the, I think a lot of people do care about going poo in a public bathroom. So like there's a couple of scenarios that would come up. Sometimes you would be in there and you'd be getting ready to go and like someone walks in. And so now you have to like sit there and just kind of like hold it, like wait hopefully you weren't too far along and then they leave and then you go sometimes and this is like this is the worst sometimes the standoff yeah the standoff sometimes somebody comes in and you're like you're waiting for them to go pee and to go pee and leave and then you realize that they're also in there to go poo (laughs) and they've realized that you're in there all you're in there too and so now they're trying to wait you out you're trying to wait them out and there's this weird like i think who if the person comes in after you they have to get up and leave well sometimes they do i know but i think that's that's courteous yeah but then sometimes they don't and so you have to like pack it in and leave (laughs) and then go to the bathroom on the floor below (laughs) which is what i would do oh that 100 percent. just go we had this like spiral staircase that ran down (laughs) the middle of our building so just like walk down go sometimes the there was like like a bathroom cleaner who would just like cycle through all the bathrooms there were like eight or ten right in the middle of the building so that's another scenario the cleaner comes in there and they're like hello (laughs) you're like oh you know um and then sometimes somebody walks in and you're like you're you're mid push like you're going and there's nothing you can do so you you pull this move you pull the Somehow you managed to cough, sneeze, okay. flush the toilet. Yeah, flushing and, the toilet is better. And roll the toilet paper out at the same time. <laughs> Just cut like as but much noise as you can. But then you have to like flush can. and then you have to wipe and flush again. But it's better than someone hearing it, yeah. I think. 
Um, I figured this hack out uh, at some point, not soon enough in my career. But if you actually like put some toilet paper down first, so put toilet paper in the water, you don't get the splash back. Okay. It makes a silent. Poo. Yeah, but I don't think that's the noise people are worried about. Yeah. Well, I mean, if your diet's under control, you shouldn't be worried about the like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, what about farts? They come out at the same time. Yeah, sometimes. Those are so- usually pretty audible. Yeah. But I think it's like, you know, when people ask me, Meredith, why did you quit your job? I'm like, the bathroom situation. I had to. I couldn't stand it anymore. It was, yeah. I I had very similar experiences. Yeah. Because I would get up early and train and then go to work and then have coffee at like 9 and then 9.30 was kind of like the magic time. The best is like, there would always be that one person who was just completely shameless about it. Oh, Which yeah. I kind of admire, you know, because everybody poops. You know, like everybody Yeah, and like it. if I know who it is or I see them in the bathroom, like... I'm not like, you should be ashamed of yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm like, good for you. Yeah. Does it make me think less of them as a person? No. I'm like, you mind But I... I still can't just let her rip. Yeah. That's different strokes. But yeah. Anyways. If you're um, somebody who, a guy who's before this podcast thought that we didn't poop or fart we're really sorry for ruining that for you. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert. Your girlfriend does poo. Yeah. It smells just like yours. <laughs> they, I think we generally spend less time on the toilet than men though. Yeah. But maybe it's because they don't often sit down. So they're like, oh, it's relaxing. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on that note, not the poo note, but the office note, we thought it might be kind of, um, enlightening to hear about our professional careers and what brought us to the point where we switched into a totally different and in many ways less secure field so um when i'll start well i'll ask you some questions and you can ask me some questions we'll just talk it's fine when did you know that you wanted to be a lawyer i oh i don't know i I don't think I necessarily wanted to be a lawyer ever. I just decided like I should go to law school. Um, I had planned on being a sports psychologist. So I took psychology in my undergrad. And as I was getting into it, I was, as much as I absolutely love the field of psychology, like I still read books um, about it. It's very, depending on the on the type of psychology, it's very like relevant to pretty much everybody's life especially like social psychology or behavioral psychology but the career options for me like they just none of them like piqued my interest like I didn't really want to be a researcher or professor I didn't want to be a therapist like that just wouldn't be good for me and the field of sports psychology even I guess it was now almost 10 years ago it was quite small like it was very small it's very hard hard to make sure you're getting a good education and then you can kind of break through in that field. And to, to, for me, I was kind of like, I, I think I, I've always wanted security and like a, a straight path forward. And I took a few business courses and then I took a business law course and I was like, wow, this stuff is actually pretty interesting as well. Um, it's very relevant to real life. I always think like law kind of makes the world go round. Um, I value rules and contracts and that sort of thing. It's certainly not black and white, especially when you're arguing cases and, 
and contracts and stuff, but it there was just more security in it, I guess. And so I was, and both of my parents are lawyers, which is also part of it. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go to law school. So I took a year off after university. Um, I was dealing with some grief stuff. I had a couple deaths in the family my, my senior year. And I took some time, studied for the LSAT, and then got into a few different law schools across Canada and decided to do that. And then you quit. <laughs> yeah, that was four or five years later. Yeah. What, um, what brought you to that point? Um, law school was awesome. It was very much a learning experience in multiple ways. I learned a lot, obviously, about the law. But I also learned a lot about myself and it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. First year law school is no joke. Like it is, it is so much work and so different from undergrad. It's just, undergrad for me was like a breeze. Like I, I was like an A plus student, um, not to brag, just I was always on top of things. I really, really loved what I was learning about and it just clicked. Like I didn't really have to study much. It was just it was just so interesting to me I really liked it law was different like it was interesting but it was very difficult to grasp and the tests weren't you weren't get, getting tests on your knowledge you were getting tests on how you were applying what you had learned cases like you would just learn about cases and cases and theories and then you would for the exams which were brutal because they were like 100% finals so you didn't even know how you were doing until the end of the year there were a few classes that had midterms but again it was like you didn't know how you were doing until three months in and that was stressful um I remember the first day at law school we were all all the new new first years were sitting in the auditorium and the um one of the professors got up and said like look to your left and look to your right like both of you are here because you're both a students in university and so you need to adjust your expectations in law school because not everyone can continue to be a students and of course like and I remember talking to my friends about this after like we're all sitting there like well I mean I'm gonna be one of the ones who still gets A's because <laughs> you know we all come in we got like we have egos we're all good students we're in law school like but man, that was tough. I, I cried a lot. I had a lot of mental breakdowns, a lot of not knowing what was going on, how I was doing. I remember there was a couple topics I had to write for papers. There was one on Aboriginal law and I just like, as much as I tried, I could not figure out how to write this paper. <laughs> I ended up writing it, of course, but like a lot of freakouts. It was very difficult. So why did you decide to walk away after all that work um well as hard as law school was working in a law firm was probably twice as hard you so when you're in law school in your first year like so you start at the beginning of september and you have career day on it was on my birthday that year september 27th so you're not even in law school for a month and you're already applying for jobs at law firms and you're trying to get summer positions for that summer. To, and then once you get a summer position, you usually get offered an articling position, which happens after your final year. So you do three years of law school, then an articling year, and then you get called to the bar and you're a real lawyer. 
the articling is very much you're working in a law firm you're getting paid it's like an internship but not um it's like a residency i guess if you had to draw uh, similarities and i got so you so then you have a break to do a bunch of interviews and you're still like you're barely in in you barely started law school and you're doing interviews at these law firms and end up getting a summer position at the law firm that my mom worked at which is one of the biggest law firms in calgary and i was pretty stoked about that like it was a good big accomplishment for me and so i worked there that summer and like to be honest didn't really like it and i remember saying to my parents like i don't really like this like and my mom assured me she was like you know what art uh, being a summer student's really hard you're kind of doing like bottom of the barrel jobs you're not really like in in the practice like you're not working on like um files and making in the thrust of the deals i guess she's like you're not really seeing the exciting part and i was like all right it's she's probably right it's probably just like you know being a summer student um and I remember all the other summer students, like they would just be partying, like Stampede was huge. And I just wasn't into that. Like I was still doing CrossFit. Um, so I didn't really fit in. And then second year and third year law school was fine. And then I actually took a year off after third year because I had qualified for the CrossFit Games while I was in law school and wanted to try again. And there was no way with articling was like I was going to be able to train as much as I needed to to qualify for the CrossFit Games. Took a year off like pushed articling which people don't do but I asked them if that was possible they said yes which was cool um and then I met Meredith during that year and then the following year I was starting articling on in August and that was pretty bad and I think throughout the year it just got worse and worse and worse for me and just about probably was it three quarters of the way through I was like I don't want to do this I don't want to be hired back even if I was going to get offered a hired back position I didn't want it so before it even got to the point where I was offered a hired back position I said like I don't want to be in the runnings for hired backs um as soon as I'm I'm done my year here and called to the bar I I'm going to be done which people were pretty shocked by they were shocked I remember my principal I talked to him and I had obviously been thinking about this for a long time talking to my parents talking to Meredith like figuring it out for myself and I went to him and was like look like I don't want to be hired back and he looked at me with this like look on his face of just complete shock and said do you want to maybe give this some time so you can think about it and I was like no I've thought about this like I wouldn't be coming to this conclusion without having given it a really good thought but I was downright miserable people and I've had clients and friends ask me, like, how did you know that you didn't want to be a lawyer? How did you know you didn't want to work at that law firm? And it wasn't even like, I just was miserable. Like, I was so unhappy. No amount of money was going to get me to the point where I would be. It would be worth it. I didn't love the work enough for it to make up for the, the lifestyle that it required to be good at that job. And I don't know, like, I didn't really fit in with those people who worked there. They were, they were into their job. They were into drinking and socializing with each other. And I had not much in common with them. That was difficult. Um, the work itself was extremely challenging. 
Um, which to be honest, I didn't mind that challenge. It was also the fact that you're at the bottom of the barrel and you're at the bottom of the barrel for a long time when you started that huge firm and the schedule was so bad. Like you were there at like eight every morning and there were days like you, it wasn't cool to leave before like 8 PM. Like it, I like, and people would sit in their offices and just like hang out in case some work came out like late at night. Like they were just so dedicated to the job and I just was not interested in doing that. I like to have like a set schedule. I don't like to wonder if I'm going to be at the office until like 1 a.m. I didn't, yeah. It was a lot of things, but I think, remember how bad my moods would get on like Sunday? Knowing I would have to get back (laughs) to work on Monday. And I didn't even get like, weekends were difficult to even take off without work. Yeah, like it was uh, that was tough. It was um, it was like someone would uh, like flip a switch on Sunday. You, you would do your meal prep, and then it was just like it's like Jackal and Hyde. Like someone would just like this other person would would walk into the living room, and I'd be like, oh, yeah. But that's kind of the effect that that type of work environment can have. And I, it's it's like fortunate, I guess, that you a lot of people don't have the the means or the ability to change careers. And it's like, you know, there are a lot of perks probably to being a lawyer and to working at a big firm. Like you do get a great deal of compensation for that, but it's like, you know, you're, you're tied to it. It's, it's, it's one of those careers where like you have to, you have to love the, the work because you are the work. That's your, your whole identity. You're, you can't go on vacation. And if you are on vacation, it's a working vacation. Mm-hmm. Like, um, which, you know, I can relate to on a level. Um, like you worked, well, tell us a little bit about your, how you got into what you were doing and you were there for five, six years, six years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the difference between you and me is I actually loved my job. Like I love the work. I love science, like working on, um, you know, novel biopharmaceutical products that save lives. Like that is that is right in line with my core values and where my interest lies. Um, you know, con- like constantly solving problems, constantly troubleshooting, like doing your best to um, contribute to, you know, eventually a product or a drug that could be the difference in someone living or dying. Like that's, that's, it doesn't get much better than that for me. The issue that I had at the time was um, the the schedule and the environment. It was the, you know, the same thing. A lot of the engineers and people who worked in research and development specifically, like you have to live and breathe the job because you're there doing it all the time. Um, and like specifically with my department, which was, we were kind of the bridge between, um, small scale research and development. Like think like, like Petri dish kind of, I mean, we didn't use Petri dishes, but Um, very small scale and then very large scale manufacturing. So our job was like figuring out how to take these, these products that have been developed in like very small scale and get them to grow in 10,000 liter bioreactors. So it was a lot more um, mechanical and sort of chemical type engineering than just research and development. And the difference is like you're running the same type of equipment as a manufacturing facility, but you don't have 24 hour coverage. And so, like, you know, the thing with cell culture and um, that type of work is you're kind of, 
at the the mercy of the cells and like we do under like you do understand the, the process enough to know like okay we need to inoculate at this time so that you know transfer and split occurs at a you know a reasonable time of day instead of in the middle of the night like we understand how long it takes for cells to grow to certain densities and that kind of thing but like things don't always work out or sometimes there are contaminations or alarms and so it wasn't uncommon for people in my group and it was a small group like six people um to have to go into the lab at two or three in the morning because you know there's an alarm going off or like the timing wasn't quite right and you have to go like take care of it um so like the schedule was just getting to be a a little bit of a burden especially for me with my athletic kind of pursuits it's really hard to maintain a training schedule um when you're you know having to go in and do stuff like that every every couple of weeks it really throws a wrench into things um so I was kind of at a time where I was either going to move departments like I was going to move out of that um particular department which um you know a lot of younger people work there because the schedule is so demanding so you get a couple years there you understand like a lot of different processes really well and you're very desirable in other departments in the the company so it's kind of a feeder into whatever you feel like doing So I was kind of at the point where it was time for me to do that. And then I quit my job with every intention of going back. Um, I had a a position kind of held for me and it was, I guess, kind of like your articling. Like I just, I wanted to take a break and it was a good time for me to to stop. I had saved up a bunch of money and just decided I was going to take a year, year and a half off to, to train um, you know, try to qualify for the CrossFit games and just see, see what I could do there. And then once I was done with that, go back. And then 2017 happened when I met you and, <laughs> and I was like, why don't you move to Calgary? The funny you thing is a job there. <laughs> I started Googling. Um, I was like, I mean, like not to toot my own horn here, but like people were trying, like I had recruiters all over me trying to get, to get me to go work at different companies. Cause like your skill set is just very, it's very specialized. It's very in demand. <clears throat> and I was like, for sure there's, there's work in Canada and I'll have no problem getting a work visa sponsored because like, I'm just that specialized. And, uh, then I learned there's like basically no biopharmaceuticals in Canada at all. There's like a couple of companies, like more startup research companies in Vancouver, or, like Surrey, and then a couple, like one or two more, more manufacturing type facilities in Toronto, but I didn't want to do manufacturing, nothing, nada, zero in Calgary. Like the best I could do was maybe go work in like oil and gas, which I started to look into, but I hate oil and gas. Like people from my background, like some people went that way and it just, it never really interested me. And I really didn't want to do pipeline engineering because apparently like there's no way to bypass the fact that you have to go up into the oil fields for some amount of time. So I was like, um, no, I'm good. (laughs) And then 2018 was, was kind of a, ended up being just sort of a transitional year. Also the year that I went to the games, which was not like, I mean, it was my intention, but not like the intention of the year. Um, so our like transition out of our careers was like, they were pretty different. I think mine just kind of, I faded out of my career. You were like, no, I'm stopping. Yeah. Um, so I think had I not started coaching nutrition and like I mean I already did that a little bit even while I had my other um my other job but I started to see like you can do a lot of good on the front end of the health industry too whereas I had been on the back end for many years 
And so I think that's what drew me into nutrition and fitness as a career and then kind of tested it out and realized pretty quickly in 2018, like this can be a viable, like this is a viable career move. I remember you were coaching. So you had your clients and you would check in with your clients while I was at work. Um, but your schedule was pretty flexible. Like you were training Mm -hmm. while I was at work. And I remember I would, I specifically remember I was so mad one day and just like, I resented the fact that you were doing something like fun and you would tell me about how you were helping these people. And I remember like, well, when are you going to get a real job? Like, what are you going to just nutrition coach forever? (laughs) Like you can't possibly enjoy what you do. Yeah. I was just, I'm like, get a real job, like get a career. What are you going to do this for the next five years? Like (laughs) I just was so annoyed that you were getting to enjoy training and helping people and I guess doing something that in as as embarrassing as this to say like I was I was jealous yeah um I think there was part of me back then that that knew like I can't keep doing what I'm doing I can't just keep being a coach for somebody like I knew at some point mm -hmm. like I had to do something more and I think that's why like that's kind of where tactic and what we're doing now was born yeah it's like I'm too too smart, too driven. Like the opportunity is there. Like I can't just not take it. Yeah. I can't not build something that is mine and ours. Like when I, I had made the decision not to continue at that firm, I, I didn't make that decision with knowing that I was going to be doing nutrition coaching or anything. I, I basically said like, there's no effing way I'm working here for one month or one day longer than I have to. And it was kind of weird because I said, I think it was April where they were starting to look at whether that they were going to hire all the articling students back. Mm-hmm. And so that was when I was kind of like, look, like don't even consider me, which to be honest, I'm not even sure I would have been hired back because like, I think they could tell I wasn't 100% like interested and committed and getting and fitting in there was just always a bit of a rift, um, especially on a social level. And so about, so I was still working at that firm, knowing that I wasn't going to be hired back May, June, July, August, about four months. Yeah. That was was, brutal. I was still working a ton. Like you just had to. Mm -hmm. Um, but in that time, like I, I was looking at other opportunities, like checking LinkedIn, like maybe, you know, there's some way I can work for CrossFit in a, like a legal capacity, which would have been difficult because they're in California. Um, I was thinking, what if I became a manager? Cause that's, you know, very much contract based. Um, I would, maybe we'll work for a smaller firm. There was just a lot of options out there for somebody with my education, but nothing really interested me. And so I was like, well, maybe I'll, like, I'm really interested in what Meredith's doing. Like the more I was learning about what you were doing, Mm -hmm. the more I kind of thought maybe I would actually be kind of good at that. And like, it would provide a good opportunity to learn more about nutrition and fitness, which I already knew a lot about and really loved it. Yeah. And, and that's when I started coaching for another company too. And just learning from you and learning from them. Yeah. I think, um, we, we talked about this with, Shanti on her podcast and it's this concept like people when you're when you're doing something for a a profession and it just it feels off like 
when you're trying to to figure out what you should be doing, there's this Japanese concept called I think it's ikigai, and it means it's Japanese for reason for being. And so if you imagine like a Venn diagram, you know what a Venn Venn diagram yeah. is, right? Overlapping circles. So imagine that there are four overlapping circles, and at the top there's what you love. At you know on one side there's what the world needs. On the bottom there's what can you get paid to do? And then on the other side, it's what you're good at. And so all of these things overlap. And in the middle, once you find something that is all four of those things, like that's kind of what's going to be like where you should be from a career and profession. It's ideal. Most people probably don't end up there. So for me, I was doing something that I was really good at. I was doing something that I got, I got paid a lot to do. And I was doing something that I felt the world needed, like like life-saving pharmaceuticals. So that left me in a position where like I was very comfortable, but I felt sort of empty with what I did. Like it there I was missing something and that something was what I you know what I love to do, which is fitness and nutrition. So to pivot, now I'm doing what I love, providing what I think the world needs, which is like health on the front end of disease. Um getting paid to do that. And also I'm, I think I'm really good at it. So I'm right in the middle. And I think you're, you're kind of right there too. I remember when we first started Tactic, it was a few months in and we were starting for the first few months, we didn't even pay ourselves. We just wanted to get the business up and running, start getting clients. Um, And then we started paying ourselves. And I remember thinking and saying to you, I cannot believe that we get paid for this. Yeah. Because it brought me so much fulfillment and enjoyment and I was learning so much about just through my own reading um, through working with different types of people learning from you and having discussions about this stuff I just couldn't believe that I had like basically stumbled into this profession and and that I enjoyed it so much yeah like we didn't I don't think we paid ourselves for like five months. Yeah. <laughs> At some point I was like, hey, like, I don't know how much money you have in your bank account, but like, I kind of need a paycheck here. <laughs> I don't even know why we didn't do that. I think we just hadn't figured out, figured out exactly if we were doing like salary or dividend. It was just one of those things where like, yeah, we'll figure it out later. We'll just let it go into the business account. Yeah. yeah it's, and you, you want to learn, like there's a desire to learn more. And I don't know if that's, if that's inherent, like when you own your own business, if that's just like a byproduct of that, or if it's the field that we're in, I think it's probably both. Like there's obviously a certain, um, amount of pride that you take in when you own the business. And I remember, like, I feel very differently now than when I was coaching for someone else. Um, but also like, I'm just genuinely interested in the stuff and it's like, for me, um, I, I obviously like to accumulate accumulate knowledge to like help my clients and to help people who reach out to us. But like when I'm really into something, like I just have this sort of like insatiable urge to learn as much as I can. Like not for any reason other than like I just really like knowing things. And the more the more I'm into what I'm doing, the more the bigger that urge is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have to stop myself from just reading about nutrition and psychology all the time. Like yeah. I have to I have to put my foot down and be like, no, you're going to read a fiction. <laughs> yeah. So it's pretty cool. I think um, a lot of people struggle 
with the the idea that you know I think there are a lot of people out there who want to change careers and that could be going into you know into what we're doing health and fitness it could be leaving a career to go back to school full-time I think just you know leaving leaving comfort is really hard and it was probably the hardest thing for me because um you know there's this this concept of like golden handcuffs it's like you know in and I worked for a company that was great and they treated us really well um the pay was great the benefits were great like I had top top of the line insurance like they make it hard to walk away from that and it it is hard to walk away from that because now it's like hey I don't have a guaranteed salary. I now have to pay insurance out of pocket. Um, I'm not paying into a 401k. Um, and it's scary. Like that was, I remember being very like unsure if what I was doing was the right thing. And then I did it and I was like, oh yeah, this feels right. I, it's funny that you say that when I summered, they bought all of uh, the summer students for stampede, which is a big kind of rodeo. It's a 10 day party here. Like they bought us cowboy boots, they took us to the rodeo, they gave us they they gave us money to go buy like lunches, drinks. We went to we were always invited to concerts. Um, like Blake, our firm had a a box at the Saddle Dome for concerts. Like and same thing like insurance, basically any any sort of um, health thing you needed was almost 100% covered Mm -hmm. it was awesome yeah we got and I think most people have we got reimbursed for anything like fitness related Mm -hmm. up to a certain point but you could buy running shoes Mm -hmm. and it would get reimbursed it was awesome yeah and I think you're right like there is a there's a point where all of that stuff just it it's not enough to keep you Mm -hmm. yeah and it's I think there's there's an old school and a new school way of thinking about money. And I think that the old school way values, you know, security over everything. And it's, it makes sense, right? Because that kind of comes out of the the baby boomer boomer generation, which is the children of the great depression. So that was, um, kind of passed along to them because security, like there was no security back then. Like you, you weren't guaranteed anything. So like boomers would, would take a job and then they would, they would stay, in that career or with that company for their entire lives. Like, do you look at the number of times that the the baby boomer generation changed careers or jobs? It's like two. Mm-hmm. And you look at um, millennials or like now generation Z and it's people change jobs all the time. They change careers all the time. The way that we think about money and investment is so is so different and it's because like, yeah, there is security, but also like a lot of these archaic security systems, like social security or like Canadian pension plan, like the, we aren't guaranteed that we're going to even reap the benefits of those. Mm -hmm. So it's like, make your own wealth, make your own money, like invest that money, figure out how to like generate streams of income that are not conventional. And I think like, it's scary to walk away from conventional security, but you can make your own security. Yeah. Yeah. I think I haven't read the book, but we've talked about the concept of skin in the game. And I think when we both decided to start up tactic and kind of decide that we weren't, I wasn't going to follow a career path that my formal education would lead me towards. And same thing with you. 
especially living in Calgary for you, it was all in on tactic, all in. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we didn't launch everything possible at once, but we were constantly thinking, okay, what can we do better? Um, and it, there was a lot that we did and we still do ourselves because we, we don't, we want to be hands-on with growing the company in the direction that we want to grow it. And even hiring our first and even our second coach, it was like, all right, like this is a big deal. Like, cause for so long we just had full control. We care so much about this. Yeah. And it's interesting the way that it grows. And then starting the podcast, we're getting more into YouTube. So it's um, like, how do we invest in these other avenues and then make sure that people are still feeling taken care of and they are taken care of. Yeah. Cause you remember what it was like in the beginning, whenever we would, we would get a, cause we, we brought clients with us. Mm-hmm. Whenever we would get a new client coming to tactic, it was like this, it was like this precious, like, like baby, like it was it, every, every single client was like so valuable. A diamond. Yeah. And we still like, I think one of the thing that, that sets us apart is that, like I really try to make sure that people still feel taken care of like that because I, I still value every single person. I value all of my people. I value all of your people. I value Lindsay and Meg's people. Like everybody, I want everybody to be taken care of because that's like, you know, the core of what we do is not YouTube. It's not the podcast. It's not social media. It's the people. And so like figuring out a way to build our business where it's still everything is around the people. Well, that is the core business. That's the service is yeah. the core business. Yep. But I want like I want people to be taken care of and I want them to feel like excited and proud to be a part of tactic. And so it's how do we sort of tactfully man, like maneuver ourselves in the space so that that never stops happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one-on-one coaching I mean, we've discussed getting out of one-on-one coaching. Like, mm-hmm. all right, can we make more money doing this? Like group coaching. Can we make more money doing subscription-based coaching uh, templates? And it, every time we come to the conclusion, like, well, no, like that isn't what we're doing. That's not what we find helps people the most. Mm-hmm. And maybe we don't get to touch as many people because our price point is higher or each person requires a bit more time commitment. But that's what we value and Mm -hmm. that's what we know people will get the most value from yeah it's definitely a it's a slow growth model it's not like high volume it's not rp it's not all of these programs out there that they just crank out templates and that's that's the business model like i don't want to do that that's not that's not our thing when we were branching out into more like marketing there we were told like you need to you need to start doing group-based coaching. You need to start rolling out programs that people can sign up for for $10 and focusing on a niche client um, and kind of figuring out exactly what they want. Like, I think the words are like, kind of get in, tap into their insecurities. Like, Mm -hmm. are you somebody that, you know, is struggling with the way they look when they see themselves in the mirror? Like, we aren't that company. No. And I remember we walked out of that meeting and we're like, yeah, nope, that's not us. Yeah. Yeah, maybe in the long term, like, we could get more money. I mean, we see that on Instagram all the time. Like, these these 30-day nutrition challenges, $10. Like, though, to us, like, that's not what 
is us. Like, mm-hmm. That's not tactic. That's not caring about each individual person. So we've kind of struggled with some different stuff, struggled with how we're going to grow, how we s- see the business in five or 10 years. Mm-hmm. But I think we've always stuck to our core values. Yep. And I think that's the key, right? Like if you're, if you are trying to, to switch careers or make a move, like identify what it is that's most value valuable to you. Like what are your core values? What can you do that like you love people need, you get paid for and you're good at and like go all into that. It's, it's the, the internet has, has just opened up opportunity for self-employment. And I think as long as you're authentic with the way that you present yourself and, you know, if you're, if you're trying to do service industry or like client facing work, like just be honest, connect with people, don't be shitty. And like, that's don't stop. Yeah. Keep like, keep working. Like that's, that's the thing. I work more now than I ever have in my whole life. (laughs) I know. I'm like, I think I actually, with all of all of the things that running a business requires mm-hmm. i'm working i don't know if it's as much but definitely quite a it's comparable to when yeah. i was working as a lawyer like i'm always on on top of stuff with the because mm-hmm. we do all the administrative and but it's like i love it it doesn't seem like work when no. you really love something mm-hmm. i think we were lucky in that and people ask us this when they're talking about potentially changing careers, knowing that we have done that. And the one thing that I always say is, and I'm not ungrateful for this or ignorant to the fact that I was in a position where I could up and quit my job. Like I, I wasn't in a, in, you know, a pile of debt. I had opportunities at my fingertips. I knew a lot of people through CrossFit, um, I was able to start nutrition coaching to have that as a, a source of income. And, you know, I just like, I, I had a lot of yeah opportunities and doors to open. Whereas like, I also like, I didn't have kids. I didn't have, you know, I wasn't supporting a family. There are a lot of factors to take into consideration. Mm-hmm. And so I would never say, yeah, like up and quit your job and find something you love because some people just don't have that. They can't. Like they can't lose their income for one month. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. you know, they'll suffer. So it's hard for me to say, oh, you should do this. You should do that. If you're miserable, like some people just don't have that opportunity. Yeah. But you can, you can start small too. Like if all you have is 10 minutes a day, like spend that 10 minutes reading or talking to to people who are in the field. Yep. I Um, agree. Start like, start small with like a a small side hustle. Like get one person that you're working with. Just Mm -hmm. one. And then that, like, see if you can get that one to turn into two. Like, you don't have to, you don't have to have it all figured out at the very beginning. Like, just start doing something. Yeah. I remember when you started nutrition coaching and that I did the same thing. And some people reach out to us with the same inquiries. And it's never like, hey, will you hire me? It's like when people come and they say, I really love what you're doing and I want to learn more about like how you do it and what you do. Mm -hmm. Will you, will you teach me? Well, can I be a part of it? Like it's not there. How can I contribute? Like it's, and there we've, we've, we've hired some people who are like that and it helps to kind of grow the business. But I think it also is 
somebody who who shows that they're interested in it rather than interested in having money Mm -hmm. yeah I guess the point I'm making is like you really you don't really need somebody who is 100% qualified to do the job right out out of the bat but if they're genuinely interested in learning and they're passionate and they're willing to put in the time and effort that it takes to get somewhere then that is good enough that is almost better than having the credentials for it Mm -hmm. so yeah even if you're not classically educated formally educated in a specific field doesn't mean that you can't go into that field yeah exactly and you might actually do more work trying to learn to get into the field than someone who has a bsc or a master's in nutrition and feels like they don't need to read anymore Mm -hmm. like well i have this degree i know everything there is to know and that's not everybody who has those degrees that is it's definitely some people but um yeah i i think i'm a lifelong learner about things that are relevant to this business about things that are not relevant at all to this business and i think that's um i think that's an important thing too never stop learning there's never there's no end you can never know enough yeah i think it's safe to say like we are i don't want to sound like um i'm cocky and that we've grown the greatest business that there ever was but i am certainly very very proud of tactic Mm -hmm. and the service that we offer yeah and so yeah if it ever sounded like i was bragging i wasn't i'm just i'm very proud of it yeah and i can't wait to like keep pushing i know it's gonna be fun um i think that's it i'm gonna wrap it up so i think we've had a few people reach out to us on this topic specifically so um if that's you and you have questions or just want to you know run something by us feel free to reach out on our personal instagram or tactic and um we'd love to hear your story if you've done this we'd, we'd also love to hear about how you did it and you know how you feel about it i think it's um i think it's really cool when someone makes this kind of leap and it works out i think that's it's like the best it's my favorite type of story so um thanks for listening make sure you follow us also we have a youtube channel we've had a youtube channel but we we're doing more videos we just did one on what's in our fridge so make sure you go check that one out um yeah and any questions comments concerns send them our way thanks for listening